Have you any books? Have you any books? Uh, you need you need books now in case you're going on to Zoom. You go on a Zoom meeting, you have to have books behind you, and that way you appear intelligent. That's what they all do. In, <laughs> that's, that's what they all do in the on like uh, BBC News and stuff. You know, whatever they come on to go to interview, and we go over to the government minister for uh, the the Department of the Environment and minister, and they've all got books behind them. They're all as thick. They're all as thick as tar, but they always have the appearance books behind them. Do you remember that time we did the the whiskey Zoom? And I had the Scottish whiskey suppository or something like backdrop behind me, and somebody thought <laughs> the it was Scottish, real. The Scottish, <laughs> the Scottish whiskey suppository. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, I know. I do really like cocktails, but <laughs> unconventional methods of delivering your alcohol. <laughs> the Scottish whiskey suppository. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Don't. Yeah. I, I could be our, I could be our, um, the, the, the Irish whiskey industry, Justin. We could sell whiskey suppositories. I know. I was trying to do it like Little Britain, like you know, the book sketch. Margaret, Margaret, Margaret. Uh, so anyway, uh, you've got another fabulous book to review. Yeah, I've got the Lux Distillery, A History by, by Andrew Billenberg, published by Lilliput Press. Uh, yeah. So it's a little book. It's only about 120 some pages, and it was published um, back in 1993. And you and can get a hardcover copy for 120 quid. <laughs> or, or, or I'll give you one for 100 quid because I have I actually have two copies of this. Or you can get a paperback. There's only five left in stock. I'm going to buy them all here in a minute. Actually, on Amazon.co.uk as well. It's been reissued a couple of times. Uh, copy that I have was reissued to, to in 2007 when they started distilling back in uh, in Kilbegan after uh, I ate us for a considerable period of time um, but, but basically what we're saying is uh, if you like your Kilbegan whiskey your Brusno whiskey or your Lox whiskey or your Tailing whiskey or your Cooley whiskey uh, you're liking this book yeah well as we keep saying, whiskey's different than lots of other spirits. I don't see people bringing out history of Smirnoff and and to, to as much reception. It's a, you know, if you're drinking whiskey, people tend to have a a bit more of a vested interest in it, and that kind of there's a, there's a regional loyalty, not necessarily just a, a brand loyalty. The same. But you say it's always about the story, the history of it. Yeah, it's about buying into where it's from and what it's what it's about and that and I know Waterford are doing the whole terroir project but there's always been a sense of terroir with whiskey there's always I mean lots of the distilleries and lots of the products are named after the places that they come from so in that regard whiskey's always really had a sort of terroir even if it's only a name um, so yeah I mean you take the Bush Mills uh the distilleries over in Scotland, you know, they're all Glenness and and so on and so forth, Glen Scotia, or you know, they're all they're all regional places. So, it's it's it lends itself very well to that kind of thing. Now, this book is obviously it places it uh, in in the larger context. You know, the Irish whiskey industry as a whole. Does it go into the 
despite the market dominance of Scotch in this century, Irish was the peer whiskey long before Scotch took over around the nineteen twenties. Well, this it it really is um, a much much more to do with a sense of place uh, and the actual the families involved, the people involved, the the history of 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 the distillery. Now, obviously, it touches over over the the actual whiskey itself. It has to, and, and the production methods and whatnot. But there's much more of a sense during the book that you're you're dealing with things that are up and down, a decline and re, renaissance, and up and down in the history of this of the Irish whiskey industry. It touches. Why hasn't anybody made a soap opera about the whiskey industry? I don't know. <laughs> good, good question. That's probably a good question because they're all. They're all intermarried among each other. Uh, you have <laughs> Nessus tells you the the distillery owner's daughters married the 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 the, the 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 distillery owner's son. You know, I don't know whether they all elope, but there's there's a bit of unconventional uh, habitation and a bit of D I V O R C E involved in this and stuff. You know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Remember, don't take your guns to town. <laughs> <laughs> now, the four words actually by Doctor John Teeling, which is always a good thing. Uh, the more the more Doctor Doctor Teeling's involved, the better, as far as I'm concerned. He's the guy um, that re- brought uh, Irish whiskey back from the brink, really. It certainly would be one of the major ones that I would consider. Anyway, you know, um, it's it's. I don't think he gets anywhere near the credit he deserves. But anyway, um, back to the book. Now, it does credit the the author does credit the. E.B. Maguire's Irish Whiskey, which is useful most notably in regard to the evolution of the excise infrastructure and government intervention in the industry, of which there's always plenty. Now, the book starts obviously at the beginning, and the chapter, first chapter is called The Beginnings, and he touches on uh, the, the origins of Irish whiskey, of which there are many. <laughs> it all depends on what you believe. <laughs> um, but it, it talks about, you know, uh, duty paid and Sixteen seventeen Irish aquavitae, uh, commonly called Ushkaba, is held in the best. Held is held the best in the world of that kind, which is made also in England, but nothing so good as that which comes out of Ireland. So, you know, obviously back then, it's uh, a totally different kind of thing. Is the proof in the book that it's the oldest distillery in uh, continuous production or continuously with a license? Yeah, it's it's definitely there. Uh, there is a little bit of debate. Um, they kind of hint that the the, the seventeen fifty seven might not just relate to that distillery site, but um, the, the the town definitely has had distilleries back then. There was a distillery registered. Maybe there's burnt down when the other place had the balloon accidents. <laughs> <laughs> I tell them more. <coughs> now there it is. It's, it's just, there was three distilleries in, in the little village, essentially at the time when it started. But it goes through and skips along quite nicely. Uh, and there's, they have put in stuff taken from Maguire's book about the the excise and stuff, and the, the, it's really well placed because it sort of it helps establish the the, the the context of the Irish whiskey industry for example you know they, they bring in what what rates were being charged 
on spirits and the tax man plays such a huge part in in whiskey that it's it's really it would be disingenuous not to put it there uh, so it, it's it's good that it does that the way it the way it sort of punctuates now it follows the timeline the book follows the timeline of the distillery pretty much to uh in chronological order you know and some of the shall we say the the pressures that were on the distillery because it was never very big it was it it got to a point where it was large but it was never one of the real big hitters um, is it an easy read then if it's in chronological order and doesn't it, jump forward and backwards is, in time it is a very easy read and you don't have too many people to, to remember you know there's, there's some of these books and they, they think they're Ulysses so, so there's that many characters in it you're just going like right who's that who's this where does it where is it um, and they ends up like Game of Thrones it doesn't make sense <laughs> <laughs> the main character goes mad and burns everyone to the ground <laughs> funnily enough Justin oh there's a fire in it let there's me guess a fire. a fire in it oh, how <laughs> did always, I guess this <laughs> there's always a fire in a distillery they always have to have a fire uh, 1901 a paraffin lamp exploded in the lower mill and a fire broke out which consumed everything except the stone walls uh, the buildings were reconstructed, though the marks of the fire can still be seen in the stonework of the lower mill. Now, the one thing that they do... Next on the Irish Whiskey Review, I went down in a burning ring of fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's funny because Kilbegan put themselves down as being the oldest distillery um, building. They put themselves... The, 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 and they're quite right, but the building, the place burnt down at the start of the 20th century but they kept the buildings so it was it was very much rebuilt um so it's always it's always whenever you find these uh histories and how they put things together that uh and they like putting as early a date as possible on things you know that's why some of those some of those new make spirit or new uh, established whiskies have <laughs> middle of the 16th century written on them and it's, it's hard to sort of conceive how, how that comes up but it is a little bit right. about play you know? it's, it's poetic license as long as we know it doesn't matter if Americans don't realise well I, th- I think people in the US are shrewd enough to figure these things out themselves you know but it, it lends a sort of kudos that, that uh, people seem to like you know right. the older now, the better yeah there's a couple of really um, interesting things in this they, they they talk about um, illicit distilling which which played a, a fairly major part in the whole Kilbegan story if I'm honest Aye, but Kilbegan was even better than that they were doing the, the night shift for themselves and, and the duty men rather than for the company yeah it tells a story about this um, it, the, the, the people working around it they People working on it sometimes didn't really have much choice, but work on the night shift because they, they were told they didn't actually realise what was going on. They were, they were. Uh, it's making... called plausible deniability, Marty. Well, plausible deniability. Well, put it like this: if you have a job, there's a there's a section in it that describes the wages, um, and the wages. Certainly, after the original John Locke passed away, really weren't great. 
Oh, all right. I thought you were going to because he, he, I thought you were going to tell me they were too good to be true because he was quite a generous employer, wasn't he? He was. He was a very generous employer. But I think subsequently, as as times got tighter, the the people's salaries went up and down. Um, Does the book tell you, uh, as a sort of whiskey aficionado, anything about whiskey that you didn't know before? Well, certainly the mash bills. Um, The mash bills, you do a little bit of reading and how much oats played a part in in Kilbegan. How much strain they were under from uh, temperance movements. For example, uh, it talks quite a lot about temperance movements in the middle of the 19th century and moving on and how much they were dependent Kilbegan was very dependent on domestic seals so once the temperance movement appears people's consumption drops then obviously that has an impact on on the companies and people's jobs um, it says here that once they raised the tax lots of the small distilleries disappeared but a lot of them just went underground and just became putching makers, you know, they became illegal spirit makers. And it said that in Belfast, the Presbyterian clergyman from Belfast, interviewed in the same year, thought that private distilling had never been worse. An employer he knew informed him that in 10 years in trade, he never had a man in his employment by whom he did not lose money on account of their drunkenness. So, a bit like whenever you, when Prohibition appeared in America, you know, Ireland had its own quasi uh, prohibition but they they didn't stop people from making alcohol they just made put the taxes on it to try and stop people from and the reason it. i knew this is if there were like the reverend henry cook that had a, a sort of a wine cellar beneath their uh, preaching hall <laughs> uh, yeah that that was it you know they <laughs> whenever you um try and stop people from doing stuff they normally just try and find a way around it to try and get get their uh get their alcohol in them um just, just the human nature, I suppose. But the the book, it skips along really well, actually, um, and gives you a real sense of, of just the sort of day to day things that the distilleries were up against. But it does focus quite a lot on the Locke family and on on that that family because they held it for a, quite a long time. And there's some really nice photos of them here. Um, Mary Ann Locke, who was Devereaux to her own name, she's there, she's looking very much a very stern lady. But then you have Sweetie Locke, who was a member of the family, and her nickname was Sweetie. And she's pictured here with her three dogs, Whisper, Wanky and Winky. Stop, stop laughing, stop being pure, right, Justin. Stop Wait, being pure. I'm sorry, but listen, if this was on, on Facebook, we'd be getting Zuckerberg again. Uh, you'd be getting Zuckerberg. I don't get Zuckerberg. This one, hey, listen, I'm not the one that was accused of nudity. Oh, wow, that's right. I was, I was naked, apparently. Uh, <laughs> whiskey review. It's because you wear the same jumper every week and it blends into the background, you know? Uh, that must be it. No, uh, it's for continuity. He does wash it, but it's for it's for visual continuity. Yeah. You know? I know. Well, no, there's some really nice photos in this. Um, some there is some stuff in it that uh, that is really of, of interest um, to to people that would be interested in in whiskey because it tells you really where the trade was. Um, there's a quote in it that I didn't actually realise, which or didn't I hadn't heard before. That <laughs> David Lloyd George uh, said that really. 
the the problem with Irish whiskey was a a, a semi war between Dublin and Belfast, because Belfast had adopted the the column still, and and Dublin hadn't, and that was why you know there was there was problems. They Kilbegan was supplying Dublin or supplying Belfast. They were they were sending stuff up there to be blended and shipped out as Irish whiskey. So, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's there's there's lots of confusing stuff from from what a lot of the time what you're told and what's actually statistically true. Um, in the book, where does this come from? Does this come from partition of Ireland or prohibition or? trade wars between uh, the UK and uh, a separated Ireland uh, or where is the truth in these things that come out? It all depends on who you, the truth is basically what angle you're coming at these things from um, obviously because of Belfast's close proximity to Scotland and Scotland adopted blending uh, they were able to, you know, they had good connections across the water. So they were, the likes of Dunvilles, for example, were sending green whiskey to Scotland to be blended into the, their blends and being sold off as Scotch whiskey. And all of these things is, is true, but there is just lots and lots of little, nice little bits in it. Um, it touches on the scandal, the Knox Distillery scandal. Uh, it doesn't go into huge depth on it, but it, Basically, what happened was the distillery went up for sale in, in after uh, the Second World War, and it really became a level of, of corruption. There was uh, a syndicate came on board to buy it, and it, there's lots of hints of bribery and corruption, including De Valera and his son being given a gold watch, nice Swiss made gold watches. Um, and it basically brought down the government. Now it turned out, they held a tribunal, and the tri- forty-nine people gave evidence at the tribunal, and it became apparent that sixty thousand gallons of whiskey from the distillery were going to be sold on the English black market at eleven pounds a gallon. The syndicate earning a sum of six hundred and sixty thousand pounds after purchasing the distillery for three hundred and five. Now it never came to fruition. One of the guys, turned out that was part of the syndicate, was travelling under a false passport and he was wanted by the, the British government so they were trying to ship him away and he jumps off a boat jumps off the boat and gets picked up by uh, some compadres and escapes but and he did up, all this without having a mobile phone in his back pocket like Jason Bourne yeah but he didn't need a mobile phone he had lots of lots of government officials in his back pocket so he didn't need a, didn't need a mobile phone <laughs> now, you know the way I, I do like a poem there's a there's a poem in this that, that that's quite good. It's from the Carrick Opinion. Now I assume it's from from um, Carrick and Shannon rather than Carrick Carrick and Shannon, not Carrick on uh, Fergus, for mm. for Justin resides. <laughs> now I'll I'll just read the, this poem because it doesn't take too long. It's only a short thing, but it's, it's quite quite funny because it's uh, appeared shortly after in the Carrick Opinion at the time of the wedding of Princess Elizabeth. So obviously now the Queen. So here it is. We have got so pally lately with our friends across the sea that I thought the royal couple would ask an odd TD to be present at their wedding just to show they bear no malice. And last night I had an awful dream the Doyle was in the palace. <laughs> I could see Dev in all his glory in a tie of orange and green while he wore a great big shamrock in his brilliant white cabine. 
he was arm in arm with Dylan and Sir Basil Brooke was near and all three of them were roasting toasting Sean McBride in English beer. I could hear the mass and Aiken calling Atley dear old Clem, while Fianna Foilback Bencher said the princess was a gem. And all was going gaily till an MP from the docks shouted past the whiskey Oliver, make sure you give me looks. It was then that the ruction started and I heard a piercing scream as I jumped to dodge a flower pot and woke up from my dream. <laughs> Which I think is quite funny, you know. It, it, it is. Maybe they were trying to overtake Cold Rain as the, the Palace of Westminster's favourite whiskey. <laughs> well, I think I think at a certain point they were certainly the, the, the Doyle's favourite whiskey. <laughs> um, now, there is a couple of little insights into the place, um, the distillery. For example, the uh, sort of facts about what they'd spent and some of the uh, th- the buildings and what was involved in the distilling. Um, and it goes on really up until 1993 when it talks about, you know, being taken over by, by Cooley and the fact that Cooley had really got their warehousing sorted out. They had got various things and they'd bought into the history and the, the very last paragraph of the of the book before you get to the appendices is really quite prophetic and it's a real credit to the author because he writes in it on the 17th of July 1992 Locke's pure pot still malt Irish whiskey was launched onto the Irish and international markets by coming to terms with the technology marketing and finance of the modern industry Cooley hopes to succeed where Locke's failed Locks provides Cooley with a distilling pedigree which goes back to the 18th century. This vital combination of tradition and modernity adopted by Cooley augurs well for the future of Irish distilling industry, which in 1993, when this book was published, was in a pretty dire state. So it's quite prophetic of the author to, to have written that in there, you know. It finishes on a bit of a high. There endeth the lesson on the Here Irish the whiskey review. <laughs> Here endeth the lesson. No, I would I would recommend that little book. It's as I say, it's not very big. It's only hundred and twenty pages or so in it, and some nice pictures and photographs. And if you have an interest in Irish whiskey, it's a nice one to have. A, a nice wee gift to go along with a bottle you're buying somebody. I'd sit down. Um, the, the Kilbegan uh, have two new two of their own whiskies out. Uh, the small batch rye and, and the pot still. I prefer the pot still. Give it give it a little whirl. It's a nice nice little creamy thing from the oats that's in it. Excellent stuff. Catch you Saturday night, ten PM, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and maybe Instagram as well. And remember you can buy us a coffee, www.buymeacoffee.com slash Irish whiskey. Take care folks. <laughs>